Welcome to Intersect, where church meets culture. My name is Josh Nash. I'm the lead pastor at Northeast Presbyterian Church in Columbia, South Carolina, and I am joined as always by my beneficent and buff wife, Betsy. Oh, thank you. I gave you two. And both start with B. They do. Now, when I say buff, I have to say, um, you you are a lovely, you have a lovely figure, Betsy, and you're a beautiful oh, woman. Thank but you. But you also, you can you can throw a weight around. I do I mean, enjoy you're not, picking a, up a weight here and there. You're not going to just snap in half. Yeah, yes, I, I'm, I'm not that type. So. And <laughs> as you have often said, as we get older, we should lift weights. Isn't that right? Yes, because definitely. Because if, if we don't, that could have some negative Absolutely. We could do a whole episode on that. Okay. Well, that's more to come. Uh, Bets, here's our topic for today. Every human has a story. Mm-hmm. We want to talk about stories today. Mm-hmm. Are you a fan of stories? Absolutely. Yep. Love, love stories. To, love to read. True stories. Made up stories. Yep. Enjoy them. Don't you agree with the dictum that generally reality is stranger than fiction? Uh, that, that a lot of times the craziest stories of all are true stories. Yes. Well, we want to talk about how God has made us uh, narratival beings. Mm. We are story beings. Our life really only makes sense in the context of a story. So what we want to do today is we want to talk about uh, what a story is, mm-hmm. what, are, what are popular stories that people embrace. Because Bets, let's just start out with this question. In your opinion, is it possible to make sense of life apart from a story of some kind? Yeah, I mean, I think we all have different things. You know, when we even talk about the phrase, every human has a story, you know, what do we even mean by that? I think what we mean is, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Like, what makes what makes sense of your life and your experience, right? Like, what do you... What do you think about when you get up in the morning? What's what's your purpose? Yeah, what's your purpose? Yep. And I think we can all go through seasons where we aren't thinking about those deep questions. You're just kind of doing whatever the day puts in front of you. You know, going through, you're getting dressed, you're going to work, you're getting your kids to school, you know, whatever mm-hmm. is on mm-hmm. your to-do list. But I think we, for many of us, we have these flashpoints where sometimes our lives just don't make sense or it's not going how we thought it would. Mm. Or, you know, something happens, something comes up. And then I think in those moments, we think a little, sometimes we think a little bit more deeply about our lives and what is the purpose and, you know, is this adding up to anything? Yeah. So you're presenting story as that time where we sort of step out of the tyranny of the urgent and we have some self-reflection on our lives Mm -hmm. and we think about what's it all about. Right. Um, I would I would probably call that sort of a, a small S story, and then mm-hmm. I think there's a big S story, which is which is this: What is your story that explains reality? Mm-hmm. Right. And this right. is something that makes us unique. I'm reading a book right now. Um, I'm in the middle of it right now, called "The Four Percent Universe: Dark Matter, Dark Energy, and the Race to Discover the Rest of Reality." Mm-hmm. Uh, most of which I do not understand, but I, I do read and speak English. It's by a scientist named Richard Panic. Not the type of panic yeah, that you P-A- might do when P-A-N-E-E-K. you read the book. Yeah. But um, he says this. I thought this was interesting. The capacity for narrative, as far as we know, is unique to our species. Because our species, as far as we know, is the only one that possesses self-consciousness. We see ourselves. Not only do we exist, but we think about our existence. We envision ourselves occupying a context or in storytelling terms, a setting, a time, and a place. To see yourself as existing in a specific place 
and at a particular time is to suggest that you have existed and that you will exist in other places and in other times. Mm. You know you were born. You wonder what happens when you die. This was written by a man, as far as I know, who's not religious at all. Maybe he is. Uh, The book is certainly not religious. But what he is drawing attention to as a scientist is he's saying, look, only humans uh, ask this question of, what is this story that we inhabit? Why are we here? Mm-hmm. A story means that you have a sense of yourself in both time and and uh, space. Right. Both you have a context for this is the period of time that I'm living in, and uh, this is the location that I'm living in, and I have to make sense of everything around me based on those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was so I went back to a book in in preparation for this episode. I went back to a book that I read several years ago. This is a Tim Keller book. It's called Making Sense of God: An Invitation to the Skeptical. Great book. And yeah, so you'll remember Josh that Tim Keller wrote a reason. Um, the reason for reason God. For that God. was probably what two thousand twelve, eight, eight or, or nine. Oh, Actually, I think a little bit before that. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so this book, Making Sense of God, came out in two thousand sixteen, I believe, and this was kind of a response to some of the pushback he got from um, the Reason for God that this is too this is too shallow. This doesn't address a lot of the questions that people are asking. A lot of the questions that skeptics are asking. So, Making Sense of God is kind of like a prequel in my opinion, to the reason for God. It's really good. Um, And I had read this several years ago, but I got it out um, as we started preparing for this episode. And anyway, all that to say, um, Tim Keller talks about an author um, named Martin Heidegger. And he had a quote that just really dovetails with what you read. Um, And this is from Making Sense of God. Um, Heidegger argues convincingly in his book, Being in Time, that human beings are distinguished from other living things by their capacity to put their own existence into question. Mm. They are creatures for whom existence as such, not just particular features of it, is problematic. And uh, Mm. just, again, bringing up that point that humans are um, unique in all of yeah. the living creatures. It's not enough way. to have our biological needs met. Mm-hmm. We are, and I, I think you want to talk about this later, we're meaning makers mm-hmm. and we're meaning seekers. And it's hardwired into our existence to ask the question of why we are here and what's the story that we inhabit. And uh, I, I was thinking about this, Bets, to contrast human existence with the existence of like a pet. So we have a, we have a dog. We have a couple of cats. I feel like, yeah, I feel like Boo is at the receiving end of a lot of your, um, not criticism per se, but a lot of your examples. Of- okay. Uh, the, okay. Well, our dog Boo. Well, he, he's really a faithful friend there. He he's, is. A, he's a good guy. Yes, but he has a dog. He's a and dog. That's the point. And, yes. you know, if you think about an animal, it's not that animals don't have a sense of awareness that they exist. Or that they're not driven, or or that, or even that they don't have memories of mm-hmm. of you know certain how people smell, or this is this is what my leash sounds like, or this things is what, they like and don't like. That's right. Mm-hmm. But but yet there's there's no evidence that animals try to fit that into a narrative framework <laughs> of where did I come from, where am I going, why do I exist, what's the story I inhabit. They live at a lower level than that. And we as humans just, uh, we, we just can't. We mm-hmm. live at a different level than that, that God gave us to ask these questions. Mm-hmm. 
it is so interesting when you see that there are just, as you, as you pointed out with Boo, there are just these incredibly important intrinsic distinctions between humans and animals that, you know, when you follow the um, secular materialistic explanation of the world that says, you know, we're just the, um, the evolutionary result of um, all of the animals who have come before us, it's such a leap, right? To say, you know, we're not even close to the gorillas in the way that we um, have relationships and we build things and we um, discover things. And uh, it's just, it's really awesome when you stop and think about those things. Yeah. So what, what I would say is our modern culture might tell us that you can live an a unstoried life. That you, but, but really, um, if you get down to it, everybody has some uh, story that they believe. So, so the modern, let's just take the modern secular worldview, which would be that science can explain everything, mm-hmm. that we evolved, uh, that the universe popped into being out of, out of nothing, uh, and that the chemicals you know, reacted in all the perfect ways and all that. That's still, you're still telling a story. That's right. You're still telling, you're still giving a story that provides you an explanation of the past it gives you understanding of what you're doing in the present, and then it also gives you a view of the future. Now, in that story, it's a pretty depressing view of the future. It is. Because mm-hmm. basically, uh, and if you actually, if you read science books um, by popular authors, they usually, at some point, they get to the whole, like, I can't wait till we uh, start populating other stars. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, that's sort of the big uh, uh, dream. Like, well, eventually, we know we're going to mess up Earth so bad. And the sun's only got so long. And so basically, that becomes the hope of humanity is just that we get off this third rock from the sun. Yeah. And yeah. and we go do other things. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, um, you know, obviously, our listeners know that we're believers. And so the way that we make sense of the world is through the story of Christianity. And um, as you said, every... Everyone has a story. Every story has faith commitments, whether they are examined and acknowledged or not. And we, of course, believe that um, Christianity has the most cohesive um, faith commitments that that make the most sense. Um, what do you think are some of? And we talked about big S story, little S story. What What do you think as you reflect on on these things? What do you think are some of those? maybe little S stories that, that people look to to give their lives meaning and purpose. Yeah. I mean, if I had to pick the biggest one right now, I think it would be achievement. Mm-hmm. That the achievement story is the dominant story of our culture and that uh, ultimately your worth and value uh, do ultimately depend on... I mean, our culture would you know, would say, yeah, it's good to have relationships and a family mm-hmm. and that's all good. But at the end of the day, what do you achieve in this life? And, uh, and, and what does your heart tell you to go after? And mm-hmm. that if you can pursue those things, that is the story that will complete your life. That would be the one that I would sort of see as the biggest, in my opinion. Yeah, and also interesting to think about how story or, you know, what drives us has become increasingly individualized. Oh, totally. In the West, at least, you know, maybe um, for people in antiquity, when um, 
you know, you expect your life to unfold in a certain way. You're a member of a community. You contribute to this, that, or the other. Um, but in our our modern life in the West, it's all, you know, our lives have become all about living your authentic self and finding that fulfillment within yourself as, you know, you can see in, in so much of modern media and social media and, and, and everything that we see. So I think it's interesting that, you know, the focus of our lives has become increasingly individual in so many ways. D- definitely. What are some of the uh, other s- small S stories, bets that you have noticed? Um, you know, interestingly, I think mastery is one. And, and, and that that dovetails with achievement. But, you know, how many people are really trying to become recognized as a master of something in their field, maybe? Or um, I, I just feel like in our world right now, and I know we've spoken about this in other episodes, especially when I think about our kids you know, there's a lot of pressure on kids to really be good at something, to develop like what their thing is, you know, well, I do this, well, I do this. And um, I think that that can really drive a lot of your um, your sense of self as you develop that thing. And obviously that's not bad because God gives us giftings that he wants us to develop. But I think that can become um, something that, you know, that we're living for to become someone who's recognized as like, you're the best at this. Could you say, Bets, would you put it like this in over identification with what we do? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, there's the British preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, great preacher in England, uh, in the last century. And he said that there are people out there who, what it, what their tombstone should say is, I don't know if you remember me sharing this before, but it should say something like, born a man, died a doctor. Hmm. Or born a woman, died a singer. Or hmm. or born, and in other words, he. I thought that was a real interesting way that he would put it, that he would say that um, there are people that uh, that became so much of who they were that it's almost like on their tombstone that, is how they died mm-hmm. as that thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we do, we definitely have to become, and, and one of the things that's beautiful about that Christian story is um, because we're not all equally good at stuff. I mean, can we just right. pause and say that? That's true. I mean, what if you're the guy on the bench? <laughs> I mean, we're watching the NBA playoffs right now. A lot of the guys never break a sweat. Now, I don't feel sorry for those guys. Because they're making a lot <laughs> they of money are. to sit they on are. the bench. <laughs> they are. So nobody feels, so maybe it's not working here, the illustration. No, it's working. But Just but go. we're not all equally good at things. That's right. We don't all achieve the same amount. And the identification, but the Christian story is that um, we have inherent dignity, mm-hmm. inherent worth, and then in Christ we have uh, inherent identity. That's right. In Him. That's right. So... I yeah, I see that one for sure. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other ones? Um, I mean, obviously there are some people I think we could all say who just live for pleasurable experiences and, you know, working for the weekend and um how much enjoyment can you squeeze out of every minute? And hey, I am not here to say we shouldn't be enjoying our lives because we should, but um you for some people that's that's definitely something that that drives them in the little s story way. Um, but yeah, there's lots of them to be loved by others, to, you know, to love your family well, to raise responsible adults. You know, I think these are all things that we think about as we get out of bed in the morning. Yeah. The, and those are all good things. They are. They're all good things. It's just, we, we have to be able to, like you said, but step back 
and situate those smaller stories within a bigger story. Right. And I think, you know, part of postmodernism is the fact that our culture tells us that, well, there's not one meaning to life with a capital M. So these are all of these life stories. You just pick which one fits the best for you and you pursue that as long as you don't hurt anyone else. Um, you know, and that, that's just the path that you're going to go on to find your true and authentic self or whatever it may be. But what we're saying is the Christian story is the story that provides meaning with the capital M that is sturdy for us to put our hope and our trust in and that doesn't depend on what happens in our lives. Betts, do you think most Christians see the Christian faith through the lens of story? Or is the Christian faith more like uh, just the right stuff I'm supposed to believe and then the stuff I'm supposed to do, and, the, and then it tells me the stuff I'm not supposed to do. Yeah, I do. I mean, I one one metaphor that our pastor, when when we, we lived in Augusta for two years before Josh went to seminary, and one metaphor that our pastor used to use when we were there was, you know, for so many for so many of us, Christianity is just another piece of the pie. You know, our faith is just it's in there. It's got a good piece, you know, with our family and and with our work and and with everything else. Our family, I mean, our faith is in there as a piece of the pie, but that is. Is, is what you're saying. It's not a way of seeing faith as um, all-encompassing, right? It's just you're saying, yeah, that's another slice of my life. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, let's start to apply. Okay, fine. Story's true. We live in a storied world. There's no way around it. Can we make some connections to mm-hmm. how this can help us or, or how we might want to think about this in some ways we maybe haven't before or refresh our thinking? Mm-hmm. What comes to mind? I think recognizing that as we talked about, any way that we think about making meaning in our lives has faith commitments. You know, so we could say, well, Christians are the one who have faith commitments. Everything else is grounded on, you know, if I have, if I'm living my life in a way that I just believe in what's rational and scientific, then I don't have those faith commitments. But when we stop and think about it, um, Everyone has faith commitments. Every worldview, every way of seeing your life has faith commitments that you may or may not acknowledge. And um, I just think it's so important that we actually stop and think about what's driving us because we all know how easy it is to just be swept along with what needs to be done minute by minute. And um, how important is it that we actually examine what is driving us? I, I just think that's so important. And for us to acknowledge, you know, if you're not a believer, everyone has a way of seeing the world. And um, when we think about what our worldview rests on, there may be more things that are, um, as I said, our faith commitments than we readily acknowledge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, have you given any thought to how we can uh, how we can engage these things? How how we can uh, consider these? You know how we're living our lives. These faith commitments. I, yeah, I recently read a book um, about dementia. It was it was a sad book. Um, I have a loved one who's. Um, struggling with dementia. And it was a very profound book, not written by a believer, but I appreciated it. It's called The Last Ocean by Nikki Girard. And one thing she said toward the end, she made a list of things that she wanted to commit to in case she would ever be diagnosed with dementia herself. Um, And one thing she said on that list I thought was really fascinating. She said, stop 
hurtling through life in that great race against time that we can never win. And um, I just thought that was so profound to stop hurtling through life. How many of us are hurtling through life? I know I am in so many ways. And um, the fact is we're never going to win the race against time. You know, um, our inevitable end is that we will perish unless Jesus comes first. Um, And so that was a great reminder to me to, you know, to slow down, to think about things deeply, to try to engage engage topics that actually matter, to read things that are challenging, um, to enjoy the world that God has given us that is so beautiful. Um, So I think that was a great challenge. Mm, I like that. So Mm -hmm. basically, I can't outrun life. Exactly. That's right. I've got to deal with life. And at the end of the day, everybody has to land on a story that explains everything And that's where you're putting your chips, Mm -hmm. uh, whether you will acknowledge it or not. And, and also you've chosen to, to live your life a certain manner and, and, uh, we can't just outrun it for forever. Mm -hmm. I like that quote you know, another one that I like, it's by Soren Kierkegaard. He said, life can can only be lived forwards, but it can only be understood backwards. Um, Mm. I love that quote. You have to look, you, you cannot escape your. Uh, your in-storied existence, and as much as you want, might, you may want to try. You have to look to the past to understand and make sense of the present. So the question becomes: When you look back, what do you make of it, and what do you do with it? Mm. Uh, but you can't sort of just pull yourself out of that and just say, "No, I'm just going to totally live like an animal." <laughs> um, it just sort of fully in the in the present, right? In the moment, yeah. Because I think that the questions that we have to wrestle with is, you know, obviously, what's our purpose, and also, what's the problem with the world? No one is going to look at the world and say everything is great. We all love the way that things are, you know. So we do have to account for why are we? Why is the world the way that it is? Because, you know, if if things were just great, then human destiny. It'd be great if human destiny resulted from someone's own effort directly, right? The kind of person you are determines what happens to you. Um, but that's not the way the world works. So something is wrong, right? And we, our stories have to account for something is wrong with the world. We need healing. How does that happen? And what's our destiny? I think all of those questions have to be wrestled with. Yeah, and those are you just sort of named the the essential elements of a plot, right? Mm-hmm. Of yeah, a story, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, the other way to get get around it would be if we just existed and we didn't care, uh, then we could just sort of go about our business. Exa- again, exactly like animals are. Um, animals don't care if there's a um, extinction or another right. species dies, or but we just can't escape this uh, sense of, of being meaning makers. Well, yeah. Of and, having and, to, you know, be like, wait, what's going on? And animals also don't care if they kill each other. And I mean, all it is is about power and, and domination, you know, in the, in the animal kingdom. So I, I don't think most people are willing to go there to where you say, well, the way I live, the way I treat other people doesn't matter. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think most people are, um, are willing to go there, but that is the natural outcome of a completely materialistic worldview mm-hmm. that nothing we do really matters mm-hmm. if you're going to be completely honest about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. I, I have kind of three concluding thoughts thinking about the topic today, thinking about the whole idea of story and thinking about, okay, every person, there's the past, there's the present, and there's the future. 
right? And those are three dimensions that that every person uh, thinks about sometimes, at least. Certainly, we think about the present, we think about the past sometimes, and mm-hmm. we think about the future sometimes. And I was drawn to 1 Corinthians 13, 13, which is, uh, that's obviously, that's the great chapter on love, mm-hmm. but where Paul says, uh, and these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. And I, and I thought about how these three great virtues of the Christian faith touch on past, present, and future. Um, you know, for example, faith. Faith looks backwards. Faith is 100% looking backwards, clinging to realities that mm-hmm. can't be seen, yet we trust. And faith also lives in the present. Hope looks forward. Mm. Uh, it lives in the present, but it looks forward, uh, uh, of course. And then love explains the past, embodies the present, and defines the future. Mm-hmm. So love love is over it all. And I actually think as believers, we can either be too obsessed with the past or not care enough about the past. I think we can be too obsessed with the present or not care enough about the present. And I think we can be too obsessed with the future or not care about the future. Mm-hmm. And all three of these dimensions matter for our Christian lives. And I think it's worth our audience saying, is there one of these that you neglect that you don't care about? Or is there one of these that you're fixated on? I mean, we've talked about this. People that don't can't seem to be able to enjoy their lives now. Mm-hmm. We have talked about that. Because it's like, well, it's just about heaven. Right. Okay, look, I can't wait for heaven too. But God wants me to, to live my life in the present, building his kingdom, enjoying his creation. Mm-hmm. There's people that are, that are completely stuck in the past mm-hmm. and everything is about getting answers to all sorts of questions. Mm-hmm. So I just, I just think all three of these dimensions are thing as we think about being storied people that we can think about mm. and reflect on. Mm. Yeah, so just to sum it all up, um, if you're someone who's not a believer, you know, what, what we think from a Christian worldview, our, our purpose, it's relationship with our Creator. Our problem is sin and brokenness. Our healing is salvation through Christ, and our destiny is life forever in heaven with God. And so, again, those are questions that we all have to wrestle with when we hit those moments in our lives that we start to think um, think about things a little more deeply, start to see the futility of, of some areas of our lives. And um, the great thing about the Christian faith is that um, we put our hope and trust in something that's reliable and unshakable. Yeah, what a, what a great story. That's the one mm-hmm. I'm sticking to. That's right. And and you know, to be honest, and and there are some people out there who aren't Christians who would just say, yeah, we'll just accept it, buddy. Yeah, too bad. But if you embrace a view that uh, does just sort of goes to science, then it's just so depressing. Mm-hmm. So much of of things that have happened, they have no meaning, they have no vindication, right. they have no purpose. And you're just sort of making the best you can do in this life. And of course, we don't, I never want to believe something that's not backed by evidence. I'm never going to just cling to it as a, as a sort of pretend hope. Mm-hmm. But it's like, no, the Christian story tells us that, that there's something that's a, such a better story that you can embrace and you mm-hmm. can believe and that can define your life. That's right. Yeah. Well, thanks everybody for joining us. And Bets, I think you've been reading books. I hear that about you sometimes. (laughs) Well, this, I I did want to share a book with our audience that's very much in line with this episode that we um, 
we just did. And it, it's a book that's actually been out since 2014. Um, it's a book called Being Mortal, Illness, Medicine, and What Matters in the End. It's by a doctor named Atul Gawande. Um, I know it's a New York Times bestseller. Oh, this book. Everybody was talking about this book yes. when it came out. And Everybody. I just read it. Actually, my dad gave it to me to read. And it is really fantastic. Now, I, I don't think um, that Gawande is a believer, um, but it's so thought-provoking, especially about um, what make our what makes our lives worth living at the end and just really awesome in terms of discussions we may we may want to have with our loved ones and just thinking through human dignity in all phases of life and uh, just a really, really good book and very thought-provoking and again, brings us to those big questions that we need to think about that so often we don't. Mm. Yeah. We'll put it in the show notes. The book's called Being Mortal. Mm-hmm. And uh, thanks again, everybody, for joining us and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.